Hi, and welcome to The Fit, the fashion, innovation, and technology podcast hosted by eFitter, personalizing the shopping experience for you. My name's Judith. And I'm Elizabeth. And on The Fit, we delve into the complex world of fashion and tech with insights from industry players, old and new, and much, much more. Join us every other Monday for a new episode you do not want to miss. So it's officially happening. Our launch is a couple of weeks away, but before we reveal the date, we want to give you, our tribe, the opportunity to be first in line to shop with eFitter. It's really simple. All you have to do is sign up to our waitlist and refer a friend. The more friends you refer, the higher up on the waitlist you move. We're almost at the end of the second series of the Fit Podcast. Before our last episode, we have an extra special surprise in store for you. In the meantime, have a listen to this throwback episode from season one about our experience as black female founders in tech. If you haven't already, check out our blog on Medium and sign up to our waitlist at efitterapp.com. Enjoy! This International Women's Day, we are discussing whether London really is the place to be for female founders. A report from tech company UENI has ranked London as the ninth best place to start a business in the UK, with more female founders in towns such as Derby and Doncaster. This could be down to rise in housing and childcare costs in the capital. What do we think? I think there's something to it in that, well, we have to understand that the majority of the of founders full stop tend to be older than we are so they'll be married they'll have kids and so on so I see that the barriers to entry in terms of starting a business are super high like I'll talk to friends and I'll tell them that what we're doing right now I could only feel comfortable doing now because we have no real dependence no real responsibilities Mm. but also I feel the whole female founder buzz is still there so we are still kind Mm. of novel so there are opportunities still offered to us, to some degree. Yeah, I agree. I feel like it's there's two ways to look at it. Age may take into effect, or may be a factor in terms of being a woman founder or a female founder. Like you said, at this age, there are certain things we don't have to think about, such as housing for now or kids. But at the same time, I feel like the conversation is going. Like, it's still there. Female founders are wanted you know, I feel like there are some VC funds, whether they are UK-based, I cannot testify to that, mm. or London-based, but they want female founders more now mm. than ever. Whether it's for London or the UK, I think that's the real real question. So that's, that's a very interesting article. But do you think it's, like, industry-specific? Because when we think... When I think female founder, I'm thinking tech, because just I'm wired that way now. When I think founder, I'm thinking tech company. Agreed. And there are so many other industries. And, I mean, of those female founders, the majority of them are in hair and beauty, as you would expect. And then in industries such as construction, I think it was like 4% of um, construction companies are run by women. Yeah. So it's like, are we looking at this in the tech-focused lens? How is this affecting the rest of the country? I feel like we are biased because we are looking... Me personally, I'm definitely looking at at that from a tech perspective. Um, And... When we go industry specific and we actually narrow it down, it varies. It does vary because there will be some um, industries such as beauty, healthcare. I think even things to do specifically with like mums and babies, mm. where it will primarily be women. Um, but there's other industries that would expect you would expect there to be more women where there isn't, such as tech. Um, so when we do say, if we look at that article and look at it from a tech perspective, I think I agree with it. I think I do agree with it. Okay. So only ninth best in the country. That's not... I mean, considering it's the capital, and you know how everyone's like, oh, all of the funds, all of yeah. everything is London-centric. It's a bit disappointing. It is, but it's, I think we also have to remember, it's just like, this is a... 
is deeper than just being female and just being a founder. Like I feel like the way society is, men tend to get favor in certain industries. Men tend to be like what investors are looking for. That's the reality. And on to top it all of, if you're a different race, you have to also factor that in. So I mean, there's a lot of variables to look at, but that is a very, very interesting point to say that London is the ninth best, especially being a very multicultural and diverse city that mm-hmm. we claim to be. Um, I don't know whether we see that in the tech industry. That's true. And let's speak on it. So you've spoken about different race. Yeah. And we are f- co-founders mm-hmm. of a tech company mm-hmm. and we're black women. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How many off the top of your head can you name? In London? Yeah. No. Oh, just just in general. Let's think. Okay. I'm trying to think. You've got like your Sarah Blakely. She's Spanx. She's in the US. Oh, yes. I yeah. love her. Is it? She's, she's so actually much. my favourite. She's actually my favourite. She's, yeah, she's my favourite. She's just fave. textbook perfect. Yeah. Her story. Um, yeah. We're fangirling. Sarah Blakely, um, the Wynn founder, I can't remember her name. In the UK, of course, you've got like... Um, Pip Jamieson. Yeah. For the dots. You've um, got um, Ishita Cabra, who we interviewed. Yes. Black oh. female tech, Shamadine Reed. Have you heard of One Ls? Yes. So she founded One Ls okay. way back when. Um, so One Ls is not a thing anymore. No, it's not. And she moved on and founded Beauty Stack, which is like... I know yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So it like kind of yeah, collates okay, all of the yeah. beauty companies so that people can kind of hire mm-hmm. your nail technician directly from the Which app and so, so on. Amazing. So yeah, yeah, black female tech founder. And then you got Kick Air, BYP. Oh yeah, okay. okay, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. I feel like, you know what, when I when I think black female founder, for some reason I'm thinking someone that's been there years and mm. years, do you know what I mean? Like Sarah Blake would have been a perfect example if she was black because she's been in the industry for years. Like she built Spanx from the ground up. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the new age of female founders, black female founders, there's a lot more than there were. Or yeah, I yeah. Like there's a lot more than there were back then. Yeah, because even like the people we're talking about who we can think of, they're all in their twenties and thirties. Yeah. So it's definitely kind of down to us, which is interesting because when we look at the success of businesses, all of the articles say that oh, you're more likely to run a successful business if you're in your 40s. But you know full well that they're talking about male-run businesses. Yeah, they 100% are. <laughs> so, How does that even work? I mean, no, because, I mean, it does make sense. It's like, you know, you've had working experience. You've probably set up a few businesses. You've either exited or they failed or, they or failed, whatever. So you learned so much exactly. from Yeah, no, agreed. But then agreed. on the flip side of that, they're saying that female-run businesses are more successful. They are more successful mm-hmm. in that they, they generate more revenue full stop but also they last longer. That's very interesting. So maybe that stat doesn't really apply to female founders? That's the thing, like when we try to divide it by race and then by gender, we start to see a very different conversation taking place. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes it very interesting. If we go more specific into tech, that's where the conversation gets even more interesting. Because if if you ask me to think of a black female founder in tech, in London, it's hard. <laughs> I will have to do some digging, mm-hmm. and that's just—I don't know if that's like a condition of the climate, the founder climate, the entrepreneurial climate in London, versus I don't know San Fran or somewhere like that. Um, is that something you think about day to day, though, being a female founder or being a black female founder specifically? I feel like it—it's something that when it comes to the point where we're raising funding, it will come into conversation. It's mm-hmm. something that we may have to harness really well do you know what i mean um because i mean we've had the discussion before where we think about how a certain demographic will have it so much easier than us especially being male especially being that demographic what demographic 
She wants me to say it so bad. <laughs> what demographic? I don't know what you're talking about. White men. Okay. 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 Um, I feel like certain demographics have it easier. That's just the reality. And I think what also helps and doesn't help because it does drive us to want to be successful even more is that this is not primarily a black country. Mm-hmm. This is not um, the tech space is not for black people. I think the other day I must have seen I've seen it before, but someone else tried it again. Um, they tried to upload a picture of themselves on their passport reader. <sighs> their mouths are closed, oh. and um, it said, "Oh, your mouth's open. You need your mouth to be closed." <laughs> like, obviously, black people naturally have big lips or big R lips. Um, and get in touch. Me. Said, get in touch if you have a medical <laughs> issue. <laughs> oh my god! Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know what? It raises conversations that need to be had because. Let's be honest, if a black person is, person is in the space where they're creating this algorithm or this, this um, I don't know, this feature, mm. they would understand that you, you need to code it in a certain way that would understand that people have bigger lips, mm-hmm. but also know when their mouths are open. Yep. It's possible. But, yeah, I, I mean, it just, it really just, it varies from industry to industry, but in the tech space, it, it's definitely something I'm aware of, for mm. sure. I think in the context of running a tech company is probably the only time in life that being a black woman isn't something that I'm thinking about every day. Okay. The reason being is where we are right now, the stage that we're at. Mm. In the stage that we're at, being a female founder is something that is very obvious and very loud and mm-hmm, so on mm-hmm. because we're so early stage that at this stage you might be thinking about things such as accelerators and so on. We're not quite at the fundraising stage yet. True. And there are accelerators where they are specifically for women entrepreneurs. So that's kind of where I think of it. However, when I go to these events for female entrepreneurs, and I've been quite vocal about this or about women in entrepreneurship, I go there because I want to kind of hear the perspective of someone's lived experience and the challenges and the ups and the downs and everything they've experienced. However, I go to these events and I'm starting to hear the same thing again and again. And the privilege just jumps all the way out, to be perfectly honest. Let's talk about that. So (laughs) often in these events, I'm one of very few black women in the room, if any. So you're already you're giving me an angle from the perspective of a white woman. That's what we mean. When we're talking about women in entrepreneurship, more often than not, we're talking about white women in entrepreneurship. And it's obviously not conscious because if you've got a room where you've got 99% white women, they're not going to be thinking about anything else necessarily because it's not their lived experience. So I get it. But when you're telling me stuff like, oh my God, it's so difficult to fundraise, but I managed to fundraise because my, the, the VC met my husband and then they had common ground because they both liked golf or they both grew up in this rural countryside town somewhere in Oxfordshire or whatever, mm. then, okay, I'm seeing that's even more of a barrier for me because, yeah. you know, I'm not from some rural village in Oxfordshire, yeah. thank God. No shade <laughs> to the Oxfordshire <laughs> listeners, but... <laughs> But that's the truth. Like, I don't have that common ground. I'm still very much a black woman and there's going to be that cultural difference. Mm. And I think the same thing where you were talking about funding. When we are raising funds, it's going to be something that is very much in the forefront of my mind because people relate to people who are like them. The reason there's a funding gap is because primarily majority of VCs are men. Majority of them are white men. Majority of them are white middle-class men. That's changing now, thank God. But that's the truth. So if you're now presented with a white man who reminds you of a younger you versus a white woman who is, I don't know, seven months pregnant, who are you going to relate with more? 
true. And then you throw us in the mix and it's kind of like, oh, okay, oh, cool. God. So for me, that's just, it's not even a barrier per se. It's just a reason for us to be better and make sure that whatever we've got is super, super watertight. Agreed, agreed. I mean, it kind of opens up the whole conversation in terms of there being two of us. Because I feel like if there was only one of us and one was a middle-aged white man, it's a completely different conversation we'd be having. So what is it like having, I think, this idea in tech, we're trying to infiltrate the market, we're trying to disrupt retail, but as two black women? So talking about my own experience, and obviously it doesn't really, it, it matters not at all because I'm working with somebody who's quite similar to me. So I feel like the co-founder experience right now is actually a lot easier probably the easiest that it could be because we're very very similar in terms of our background our age everything pretty much so in that sense it's made life a lot easier i understand and appreciate the need for diverse teams though so one of the things that i really would want to do is that when we're growing this we have a team that is from all all kinds of backgrounds all ages Mm -hmm. all levels of experience and all of that because we're just going to have to learn from different people and different yeah. and and your background feeds into that there's nothing wrong with that i think mm. like people people tend to want to have this whole image of if it's going to be black it's going to be all black and i feel like that doesn't make it necessarily diverse that just makes it specific it just makes it black like, <laughs> you, know? you know what i mean and i feel like yeah we are forefront in this idea but the people behind us and the people with us need to be from all walks of life for mm-hmm. this to work mm-hmm. we're not targeting one demographic we're not targeting one type of woman we're targeting pretty much we're, ta- we're targeting women do you know what i mean i mean obviously you have to start somewhere but, start somewhere, but the yeah. goal is for like spanx was never a, a thing where it only worked for one mm-hmm. it worked for all do you know what i mean and i think that's very important so yeah that that is something that i i'm really championing like i really want a diverse team women of all women would be great though I think a core team of all women would be amazing. Yeah. But still. But and also, and also, let's be real, like, we're talking about how there are barriers and so on when it comes to things like fundraising because you just tend to interact better with people who look like you. True. I want us to be able to leverage that. Okay. So I think we need to have a team of everybody because there are going to be people who we come across, not necessarily people we want to work with, but mm. people we have to work with mm-hmm. who are more receptive to people who don't look like us. True. So I'm just being really real that in that true. sense, yeah, we're gonna need to have we're gonna ha- need to have a diverse team for yeah. that reason. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't think it's I don't think I don't see it as a barrier currently. Yeah. What's interesting is I can't really think of many co-founder teams of Black women. No. So, like, I like to have businesses or founders to kind of look up up to to or kind of see their story put up against as a benchmark or whatever but i don't really know of any off the top of my head so i kind of want to and it's fine yeah we're setting the standard that is it that's sometimes how it should be because sometimes when you look at something and it's like the blueprint of what you're trying to achieve it gets very limiting like you can't see past that sometimes because you're always a step behind them Mm -hmm. so you know what it's fine it's fine. fine. Having said that, if you know any black females, <laughs> send them not. Please, send them our way. please, it would be great. But yeah, um, I don't see it in the long term as a barrier, particularly because we're Londoners. Because we can talk about how you know, in the all in all, ninth best city to be a female founder in the UK. Mm. But being in London is immensely is an immense privilege. It's valuable. So, it's so valuable. yeah, everything yeah. like it's the epicenter. So mm. and and the fact that it is multicultural, even though the tech industry may not be. 
even yes. though mm. yet <laughs> even though vcs we're getting there we are we are getting there we have falling. black vc groups forming now which is amazing. So amazing but despite all of that we are still very multicultural and it always feels like it's this this city is more receptive to um diverse founder groups than anywhere else in the uk i'd say so let's talk about ethita mm. i think the people may want to hear what it is exactly we are working on and why so the idea is well a tech-based solution so the first issue that we're tackling is the high returns rate and the way that we're looking at doing so is by helping the everyday consumer find their perfect fit so i've i've had this conversation with you so many times where i'll come and see you and i'm wearing an outfit and i'm like oh i'm wearing three different sizes literally three different sizes i'm wearing everything from an eight to a 12 and there's no reason why i should be wearing everything from an eight to a 12. it makes no sense honestly and often that comes from a few hours of walking around some jeans. I'm trying to get some jeans, walking around these shops for God knows how long, trying on three different sizes, still not getting the right fit, ordering online, getting the jeans, they don't fit, I have to return them, all of that. So, and this isn't a problem for just me, this is a problem for most Pretty women. Much most women, yeah. And the problem is, well, there are two problems. We don't have a standard sizing system which I don't think we should. And the second problem is we don't have a standard sizing shape either and women are not one shape. At all, yeah. So because we're cutting patterns, we're cutting one pattern, expecting it to fit fit a woman who's very slim or very athletic or a fatter woman or whatever, and it just doesn't work that way. Mm. So um, the way that we're going to do that is you would be able to go on the website and effectively know what your size is before you even make a purchase and we'll be able to know that from your um, previous purchases and from where you shop and kind of from what already fits you so we'll just get the information that you've already given us about your your sizing preferences and say okay great because in mango you're a size 10 in this particular skirt we would expect that in zara you'll be a size 8 in this skirt Mm -hmm. i think one thing that we notice or when we shop online, it's, it's so general. And another thing that I think you touched upon is the recommendation side of it. So, okay, yeah, we recommend the perfect fit and we recommend, okay, this is where you'll be in, what sizes you'll be in other places. But we also tend to look at your pattern, your shopping pattern, and try to narrow it down in terms of what would you want to buy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you made the perfect example, I think last time we spoke, about, okay, I just bought, bought a pair of jeans. Why is it recommended saying, You'd also like to buy these pair mm. of jeans. Like, it doesn't make sense. At the end of the day, if I just bought jeans, I don't want another pair of jeans. Our USP would be it's tailored for you and you alone. No one else can come using the website and find, um, or using the site through and your get phone. The same results. Was the yeah. website and get the same result, basically. So what would you say the vision for the brand is? It's to be the go-to. Mm-hmm. The go-to for shopping online. That would be, I think, the main vision in my head um, for eFitter. I think... The crucial thing about eFitter that we need to explain is that as a customer, as a consumer, from your perspective, you're probably just going to be going through the website as normal mm-hmm. and you probably won't even notice yeah. it's eFitter unless, you know, you happen to just like be very um, observant and notice the eFitter logo or whatever it is. But to the everyday consumer, you're not going to know it's eFitter. You're just going to yeah. think, oh, I'm on this, I'm on my favorite shop and I'm shopping in my favorite shop. Mm-hmm. So the crucial thing for us is to kind of take it a step further, which is kind of why this podcast exists as well. To yeah, to talk about how 
um, consumers can be more conscious about what they're consuming, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how they can know more about their perfect size or even the material that is being, the clothing is being made from or anything else. And to have those discussions because we're in an age where it's more than just going to a shop and buying an item. Now you are on Instagram and now you've got these Instagram accounts that are educating you yeah. about what your clothes are made of. So we want to be a part of that, but also there are brands that we look up to in terms of reaching the consumer, even though they may not be directly consumer facing, like Klarna. We mention Klarna all the, all time, the time because they are like, they are actually the blueprint in terms of doing it really, really, really well. successfully. Yeah. They in are, that they. <laughs> <laughs> no shade. <laughs> but no, they, they've yeah. done it well. They've done it very well. They still have their brand, sorry mm-hmm. to write, and they still have their brand. But they also are within websites, right? Yeah. And you don't really notice unless you look at the logo, but you have the option to... And the app bangs. It's it, great. It's, it's great. It's we, great. You can't hate. Yeah. You can't discriminate. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, I mean, first and foremost, we may be touching the consumer at the point where they're making a purchase, but then we'd want to get to the point where, you know, they download the app and then they're just finding more information about their clothing and about their favorite brands and about, and finding great tailored product recommendations. So how do we go about keeping that alive? Because the truth is we're starting a startup and things aren't necessarily going to go to plan. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I've been reading, you recommended actually, The Lean Startup. Um, which I would recommend for every single founder, whether you're in tech or not. 100%. Because it's literally like the startup bible, I would say. Mm. Um, I'm like halfway through. But one thing I think is very important, um, which you have spoken about many times, is pivoting. It's so important to know when an idea may not be what we thought it would be, and we may need to pivot. And there's nothing wrong with it. So how can I gain more traction to what currently does work? How can I make this that works better? And you may not have to go all the way to where you thought you would. That's kind of the idea of pivoting. Yeah, and a very a very simple like example for any listeners who may be running their own business or side hustle is imagine you've got a imagine you braid hair on the side, or even you do nails on the side for your friends, and you wanted to you know go out there and have a set location every week. To go and do so however the majority of your customers said that they preferred it if you came to their homes and you were happy to do so and it was making you money even though you you had your heart set on having this particular location it may well be more lucrative to go around and visit people remotely because that is what people are paying you to do now on that um, one of the lessons in the lean startup is and also in the mom test which is another book i'd recommend is listening to every single thing that a consumer tells you will lead you kind of running around in circles because everybody is different i have different clothing preferences to judith so if we both go into zara and zara asks us what do we want we may tell them different things and then and then they're like oh wait our consumer told us that we wanted they wanted this but they didn't buy it in the end but one consumer told them that so we kind of have to be careful of making decisions based on just what we have been told. Sometimes it needs to be tried and tested, and more importantly, as a business, it needs to be revenue driving. Exactly. So on that, we've, you know, we've got this grand vision of being in every household and all the rest of it. How do we know that we're the right people to build it? <laughs> Yo. <laughs> you never really have the right person to build something. I think you just grow into it. It's something you become. Um, and we're learning. We're learning. We've never really, uh, well, I've never really worked with someone on a business before. Yeah. Me neither. Yeah, I'm <laughs> so, so we're learning. 
when you're looking at building a team, they will often say, oh yeah, you want to have people with different skill set. And I think we do have that. There are obviously gaps, like the tech thing at the moment, we've both got some knowledge of tech, yeah. but we're not tech people. So, <laughs> so, you know, that would be a gap. There's the fact that, you know, we spoke about how, you know, it's very easy because we're both from very similar backgrounds and similar working experience and similar ages and all the rest of it. But maybe it would be easier if someone had a little bit more working experience. So all of that stuff, we will never have, as you said, you'll never have the perfect co-founding team. Mm -hmm. But what's important is that we both know when to upskill and eventually when to outsource. And we both are brought into the vision as As each other. I think think that's a really important point because when there's there's one of you, it's just you. Mm -hmm. But when there's two of you, it's like, you're both working towards the same thing, but it's an equal partnership at the end of the day. Yeah. And what we're working towards, whether it's financially or whether it's even emotionally, because sometimes it does take that, um, it needs to be on equal ground. This is our business, you know, this is our vision. So I feel like anyone that's out there thinking about co-founders really do think about how, what you are bringing into the team and how you can equally make that happen. I have always equated having a co-founder or being a co-founder to being married. Oh, no, we have said this, and I agree. Yo, I think it's more of a commitment than being married, I'm not going to lie. I mean, yeah. It is. I mean, we haven't been married, so we can't really say that. <laughs> We can't really allude to that. Um, but it's similar in many, many aspects because you are sacrificing a lot sometimes. You are compromising. You are sometimes backing down when you want to, you know, no, I want it this way, you know. Because it's not about one or the other. It's literally about both of us and the business. I guess it is like a marriage. We have jokingly said that. Um, but the strength comes from working together. That's that's primarily it. Whether it's marriage, whether it's a business partnership, whether it's friendship, it's, 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 a, it's a together ship. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we definitely go into that in a lot more detail in the later episode where we talk about the trials and tribulations of co-founding <laughs> but just as a top level let's talk about this so like what's it like to work with a co-founder for you it's a relief in a way because not the whole burden isn't on me as well i think that's another thing like i'm used to having to just like channel through the stress like january was tough for us <laughs> Woo! <laughs> we can get into that later but january was very hard january was very hard for us um a lot happened we, like things just didn't go to plan primarily and i mean you say that but, but it did work out it actually perfectly. yeah yeah That's we had a very thing. ambitious goals yeah, for january yeah, and we managed <laughs> to achieve all of them i think we did so yeah yeah but my, my my point is is it's nice to have someone i think that shares a vision that gets it i don't i didn't really have to explain anything to her she doesn't really have to explain anything to me we just kind of get it and we work very well together i must say and i think that's it's rare it is rare so I feel like it's nice. Having yeah. That. I like it. I enjoy it. And I feel like I wouldn't want it any other way, genuinely. Aww. That sounds so romantic. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it is like marriage. <laughs> what about you? So I ran a business before and I was a solo founder. And yeah. I've said this time and time again that I would 100% recommend getting a co-founder to anyone because yeah. life is so much easier. Honestly, like, it's like a breeze, but in oh, business. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Um, having said that, 
if anyone is running a business or whatever, you'll hear a lot of conflicting stuff. Oh, you don't need a co-founder. It's a lot easier on your own. You don't have to deal with people, blah, blah, blah. Mm. I'd say that it works on a person-by-person basis and it depends on who you've got as a co-founder because I'm a believe that, believer that ultimately if you're working together with the perfect team, you will get more done than on your own. What's right. that saying? If you want to go fast if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together and i'm a firm believer in that but that would only work if you've got the right team or the right people around you and as you just said i think we've got it right so that is not to say that we don't have disagreements oh, that is not to say that we agree on everything we don't <laughs> <Go>. <laughs> No, no, it's like agreement is not a bad thing. No, it brings you up to a different perspective. Exactly. But that's the thing, and it's a learning experience. And if you are alone going through it alone, you do kind of fall in the bubble that, yeah, you are always right because you have no one else to hold you accountable in that same sense. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I love it. I love the accountability. Again, I think there's something about having a female co-founder that has just made it a lot easier for us to understand each other because... Mm -hmm. Running a business, we're trying to make money, mm-hmm. ultimately, mm-hmm. but it's very emotional oh, yeah. because the reason I compare it to a marriage is the business almost feels like a baby sometimes. You're trying to do what's best for the baby and yeah. sometimes parents have disagreements. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But also, <laughs> money is at the centre of this relationship. Yeah. So it's a lot and it's a lot of pressure. So that's why for me it's very, very important that you have the person who's on the same page, who is willing to challenge you but will also respect your opinion. And I think we've got that right. Perfectly. Yeah. Got that right. Up for real. Got that right. So I'm happy with that. I think, um, I think something that I hadn't really thought about until we started working together was that when we talk about female founders and women in entrepreneurship, often it sounds very wishy-washy, like, oh my gosh, don't bring each other down, prop each other up. But this is actually it in action. No, it is. It so, is. In real yeah. life. Yeah. Like, real world times. Yeah, no, it is. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Fit. For more updates, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at eFitterApp or follow us with the hashtag TheFitPod. Don't forget to like us, rate us, comment, engage however you listen to your podcasts. It's really important for us so that we can get the word out there. See you soon. Bye.